The Little Time of Trouble. When we look around this world today, we see troubles developing in almost every facet of life. And even among some of the dear saints of God, we find troubles developing within their homes that breaks one's heart. But when we read from the Bible of a coming time of trouble such as never was, it's only human that fear seizes the soul. So, let us begin this study with a talk with our God for his help. O loving Father, we need thy mighty Holy Spirit to help us just now as we explore what inspiration has revealed of this soon coming little time of trouble so that we may know exactly how to prepare and to be ready, unafraid, because we have the Lord abiding in our hearts. And we know that thy power can overcome all fear. We ask this help in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, will you please take your Bible and turn with me to Jeremiah 30, verse 5 to 7. Here we will discover the divine counsel for us about what is soon to come. Follow me as I read Jeremiah 30, 5 to 7. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore <clears throat> do I see every man with his hands on his loins, and a woman as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. And now note these precious words. But he shall be saved out of it. God has left us not to wonder about the meaning of this scripture. For the spirit of prophecy opens up the magnitude of this crisis. In that book, The Great Controversy, page 622, we read, The time of trouble, such as never was, is soon to open upon us, and we shall need an experience which we do not now possess and which many are too indolent to obtain. Are you listening? It is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. But this is not true of the crisis before us. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. Unquote. Now, with such a spine-tingling description as portrayed both in the Holy Word of God and the Spirit of Prophecy, it is best if we divide the time of trouble into two parts, the little time of trouble and the big time of trouble. In this sermon, we will only discuss what has been revealed that concerns the little time of trouble. And in a following tape, we shall then discuss the big time of trouble. Actually, the big time of trouble immediately follows the little time of trouble. This little time of trouble occurs prior 
to the close of probation and will be experienced by all the living saints as they become filled with the Holy Spirit of the latter reign and give the loud cry with divine power to all the inhabitants of the earth to make a final decision for or against God. Then probation will close and immediately the great time of trouble will commence. Note carefully how inspiration explains this. In the book Early Writings, page 33, at the commencement of the time of trouble, we were filled with the Holy Ghost as we went forth and proclaimed the Sabbath more fully. Unquote. There is no question when the little time of trouble begins, the latter rain falls, the saints are sealed, and the loud cry has started. This is made positively clear in the following quotation taken from page 85 of the same book. Quote, the commencement of that time of trouble here mentioned on page 33 does not refer to the time when the plagues shall begin to be poured out, but to a short period just before they are poured out, while Christ is in the sanctuary. At that time, while the work of salvation is closing, trouble will be coming on the earth, and the nations will be angry, yet held in check, so as not to prevent the work of the third angel. End of quote. So, when the National Sunday Law is adopted by the United States of America, the papal power at that time will be so in control of the new world order that it will force all nations to immediately follow the Sunday Law in America making it a universal law. It will be accepted and falsely believed by all nations as the beginning of the great millennium of peace, which will lead the entire world to be converted to God. In the Great Controversy, page 588, I read, Papus, Protestants and worldlings will alike accept the form of godliness without the power, and they will see in this union a great movement for the conversion of the world and the ushering in of the long-expected millennium. And believe me, friend, this is not far off. We know what the true results will be, for we have been told in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 104, when the reasoning of philosophy has banished the fears of God's judgment, when religious teachers are pointing forward to a long age of peace and prosperity, and the world are absorbed in their round of business and pleasure, planting and building, feasting and merrymaking, rejecting God's warnings and mockings and mocking his messengers, then it is that sudden destruction cometh upon them and they shall not escape. First Thessalonians 5, 3. As the people of the world have come to believe that this new world order program will bring a millennium of peace in which everyone will be saved, God will permit calamities to awaken the honest in heart to see the need to obey God or perish. In Evangelism, page 27, calamities will come calamities most awful, most unexpected, 
and these destructions will follow one after another. If there will be a heeding of the warning that God has given, and if churches will repent, returning to their allegiance, then other cities may be spared for a time. But if men who have been deceived continue in the same way in which they have been walking, disregarding the law of God and presenting falsehoods before the people, God allows them to suffer calamity that their senses may be awakened. Here again, we see a picture of a loving God as a loving father who is not willing that any of his children should perish. This is why these disasters begin restrained by heavenly agencies and gradually get worse, giving time for the third angel's message to do its work. In Evangelism, page 704, quote, Angels are now restraining the winds of strife until the world shall be warned of its coming doom. But a storm is gathering, ready to burst upon the earth. And when God shall bid his angels loose the winds, there will be such a scene of strife as no pen can picture. A moment of respite has been graciously given us of God. Every power lent us of heaven is to be used in doing the work assigned us by the Lord for those who are perishing in ignorance. Isn't that encouraging? It is during this little time of trouble that God is giving a last chance to the world to accept his law. In Maranatha, page 174, soon strife among the nations will break out with an intensity that we do not now anticipate. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes have their attention fixed upon the events taking place around us. They are watching the strange, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element. And they realize that something great and decisive is about to take place, that the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis." End quote. This is why we should have to finish the work under the most dire circumstances during this little time of trouble. In early writings, page 85, quote, while the work of salvation is closing, trouble will be coming on the earth and the nations will be angry, yet held in check so as not to prevent the work of the third angel. At that time, the latter rain or refreshing from the presence of the Lord will come to give power to the loud voice of the third angel and prepare the saints to stand in the period when the seven last plagues shall be poured out." End quote. Praise God. He has foreseen what is to come and has made the necessary preparations for us to be refreshed by the latter rain and with the power of the mighty angel to give the loud cry, for it will not be long until the climax is reached and Jesus will come. In the book Welfare Ministry, page 136, Satan works through the elements also 
to garner his harvest of unprepared souls. He has studied the secrets of the laboratories of nature, and he uses all his power to control the elements as far as God allows. While appearing to the children of men as a great physician who can heal all their maladies, he will bring disease and disaster until populous cities are reduced to ruin and desolation. Even now, he is at work in accidents and calamities by sea and by land, in great conflagrations, in fierce tornadoes and terrific hailstorms, in tempests, floods, cyclones, tidal waves and earthquakes, in every place and in a thousand forms, Satan is exercising his power. He sweeps away the ripening harvest, and famine and distress follow. He imparts to the air a deadly taint, and thousands perish by the pestilence. These visitations are to become more and more frequent and disastrous. Destruction will be upon both man and beast." Unquote. But let us never forget that Satan's purpose in such destruction will be to blame God's faithful for these terrible judgments. In Maranatha, page 176, as man departs further and further from God, Satan is permitted to have power over the children of disobedience. He hurls destruction among men. There is calamity by land and sea. Prosperity and life are destroyed by fire and flood. Satan resolves to charge this upon those who refuse to bow to the idol which he has set up. His agents point to Seventh-day Adventists as the cause of the troubles. These people stand out in defiance of law, they say. They desecrate Sunday. Were they compelled to obey the law for Sunday observance, there would be a cessation of these terrible judgments." Unquote. Finally, the Sunday violators will be declared to be the cause of all that is taking place in this little time of trouble. Notice how clearly inspiration describes what will take place. In Maranatha 176, Satan puts his interpretation upon events, and they, speaking of the leading men, think as he would have them that the calamities which fill the land are the result of Sunday breaking. Thinking to appease the wrath of God, these influential men make laws enforcing Sunday observance. They think that by exalting this false rest day higher and still higher, compelling obedience to Sunday law, the spurious Sabbath, they are doing God service. Those who honor God by observing the true Sabbath are looked upon as disloyal to God when it is really those who thus regard them who are themselves disloyal because they are trampling underfoot the Sabbath originated in Eden." Unquote. Thus, the entire world under the papal power will turn against God's people. Sabbath keepers will be hated and plans will be made to utterly destroy them. In Testimonies to Ministers, page 37, the whole world is to be stirred with enmity against Seventh-day Adventists because they will not yield homage to the papacy by honoring Sunday 
the institution of this anti-Christian power. It is the purpose of Satan to cause them to be blotted from the earth in order that his supremacy of the world may not be disputed. Such wicked plans will draw attention to the honest in heart, to the belief and teaching of God's remnant church in such a way as now thought impossible. In fact, the intention of all the world will be riveted on our beliefs. Let me read this to you from Evangelism, page 69. Every position of truth taken by our people will bear the criticism of the greatest minds. The highest of the world's great men will be brought in contact with truth. And therefore, every position we take should be critically examined and tested by the scriptures. Now, we seem to be unnoticed, but this will not always be. Movements are at work to bring us to the front, and if our theories of truth can be picked to pieces by historians of the world's greatest men, it will be done. We must individually know for ourselves what is truth and be prepared to give a reason of the hope that we have with meekness and fear, but with the Spirit of Christ. We are nearing the time when we shall stand individually alone to answer for our belief. But again, I must say, praise God, for the strength of God's remnant will be found in their obedience and knowledge of his word. In Maranatha, page 217, the powers of darkness will open their batteries upon us, and all who are indifferent and careless, who have set their affections on these earthly treasures, and who have not cared to understand God's dealings with his people, will be ready victims. No power but a knowledge of the truth as it is in Jesus will ever make us steadfast. But with this, one may chase a thousand, and two, put ten thousand to flight. Now this is why we have been urged over and over and over again to study and prepare for what is sure to come. For we shall have to stand before courts and councils. Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 217. You know not where you may be called upon to give your witness of truth. Many will have to stand in the legislative courts. <clears throat> Some will have to stand before kings and before the learned of the earth to answer for their faith. Those who have only a superficial understanding of truth will not be able clearly to expound the scriptures and give definite reasons for their faith. They will become confused and will not be workmen that need not be ashamed. Let no one imagine that he has no need to study because he is not to preach in the sacred desk. You know not what God may require of you. And just listen to this in the book Maranatha, page 253. The time is not far off when the people of God <clears throat> will be called upon to give their testimony before the rulers of the earth. And then these words. Not one in twenty has a realization of what rapid strides 
we are making toward the great crisis in our history. There is no time for vanity, for trifling, for engaging the mind in unimportant matters. Let us never forget, friend, that the pure truth of God is powerful. In Maranatha 252, the Lord Jesus will give the disciples a tongue and a wisdom that their adversaries can neither gainsay nor resist. Those who could not by reasoning overcome satanic delusions will bear an affirmative testimony that will baffle supposedly learned men. Words will come from the lips of the unlearned with such convincing power and wisdom that conversions will be made to the truth. Thousands will be converted under their testimony. I feel just like saying, praise the Lord. Why? Why should the illiterate man have this power, which the learned man has not? The illiterate one, through faith in Christ, has come into the atmosphere of pure, clear truth, while the learned man has turned away from the truth. The poor man is Christ's witness. He cannot appeal to the historians or to so-called high science, but he gathers from the word of God powerful evidence the truth that he speaks under the inspiration of the Spirit is so pure and remarkable and carries with it a power so indisputable that his testimony cannot be gainsaid." Unquote. Now in this little time of trouble, God's people are to be persecuted. This will take place during the loud cry before probation closes. But thank God, such persecutions will be limited. In the Great Controversy, page 610, we find this statement of fact. Persecution in its varied forms is the development of the principle which will exist as long as Satan exists and Christianity has vital power. But so long as Jesus remains man's intercessor in the sanctuary above, the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit is felt by rulers and people. It still controls to some extent the laws of the land. Were it not for these laws, the conditions of the world would be much worse than it now is. While some of our rulers are active agents of Satan, God also has his agents among the leading men of the nations. The enemy moves upon his servants to propose measures that would greatly impede the work of God. But statement, statesmen who fear the Lord are influenced by holy angels to oppose such propositions with arguments. Thus, a few men will hold in check a powerful current of evil. The opposition of the enemies of truth will be restrained that the third angel's message may do its work. When the final warning shall be given, it will arrest the attention of these leading men through whom the Lord is now working. And listen, and some of them will accept it and will stand with the people of God through the time of trouble. Isn't that amazing? So, I make this statement. We must be prepared in our minds to be arrested in Bible Commentary 7, page 977, 
as Christ was hated without cause, so will his people be hated because they are obedient to the commandments of God. If he who was pure, holy, and undefiled, who did good and only good in our world, was treated as a base criminal and condemned to death, his disciples must expect but similar treatment, however faultless may be their life and blameless their character. Human enactments, laws manufactured by satanic agencies under a plea of goodness and restriction of evil will be exalted while God's holy commandments are despised and trampled underfoot. And all who prove their loyalty by obedience to the law of Jehovah, here it is, listen, all must be prepared to be arrested, to be brought before councils that have not for their standard the high and holy law of God. I'm sorry, but this is not a very pretty picture. For we know that in this end time, judges will be corrupt, for they have pledged themselves to uphold and honor the new world order. In Maranatha, page 195, those who live during the last days of this earth's history will know what it means to be persecuted for the truth's sake. In the courts, injustice will prevail. The judges will refuse to listen to the reason of those who are loyal to the commandments of God. Because they know that arguments in favor of the fourth commandment are unanswerable. They will say, we have a law, and by our law, he ought to die. God's law is nothing to them. Our law with them is supreme. Those who respect this human law will be favored, but those who will not bow to the idle Sabbath will have no favors shown them." Unquote. And don't forget, this is the very end time, and we cannot expect to be treated any better than God's faithful who lived down through the ages and were treated thus. In Sketches from the Life of Paul, page 251, we read, Before the warfare shall be ended and the victory won, we as a people are to experience trials similar to those of Paul. We shall encounter the same hardness of heart, the same cruel determination, the same unyielding hatred. Persecutions will again be kindled against those who are true to God. Their motives will be impugned, their best efforts misinterpreted, their names cast out as evil. God would have his people prepared for the soon coming crisis. And now note carefully these words, quote, prepared or unprepared, we must meet it, unquote. I almost hesitate to read the following three quotations, yet we should know what to expect. In Testimony 6, page 394, there will come a time when because of our advocacy of Bible truth, we shall be treated as traitors. In Testimonies 5, page 450, wealth, genius, education will combine to cover them with contempt. Persecuting rulers, ministers, and church members will conspire against them with voice and pen 
by boasts, threats, and ridicule. They will seek to overthrow their faith. Great Controversy, page 608. As the defenders of truth refuse to honor the Sunday Sabbath, some of them will be thrust into prison. Some will be exiled. Some will be treated as slaves. To human wisdom, all this now seems impossible. But as the restraining spirit of God shall be withdrawn from men, and they shall be under the control of Satan, who hates the divine precepts, there will be a strange development. The heart can be very cruel when God's fear and love are removed. And I'm also sorry to say there is more. For Rome will renew its persecutions of the past. In Testimonies 5, page 449, throughout the land the papacy is piling up her lofty and massive structures in the secret recesses of which her former persecutions are to be repeated. And why will this happen? In the Great Controversy 564 we read, the Papal Church will never relinquish her claims to infallibility. All that she has done in her persecution of those who reject her dogmas, she holds to be right. And should she not repeat the same acts? Should the opportunity be presented? Let the restraints now imposed by secular governments be removed and Rome be reinstated in her former power and there would speedily be a revival of her tyranny and persecutions." Unquote. Furthermore, Protestants will also persecute the faithful. In the book Great Conover 607, the Church appeals to the strong arm of civil power. And in this work, Papists and Protestants unite." Unquote. Satan has planned every detail. Listen in as God tells us of his satanic devices as he instructs his angels and his evil men. I'm reading this from Testimonies to Ministers, in which Satan is speaking, for he says, We led the Roman church to inflict imprisonment, torture, and death upon those who refused to yield to her decrees. And now we are beginning, we are bringing the Protestant churches and the world into harmony with this right arm of our strength we will finally have a law to exterminate all who will not submit to our authority." Unquote. And then to top it all, we find that former Seventh-day Adventists will join in the persecution of God's saints. I read this in Great Controversy, page 608. Men of talent and pleasing address, who once rejoiced in the truth, employ their powers to deceive and mislead souls. They become the most bitter enemies of their former brethren. When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates are the most efficient agents of Satan to misrepresent and accuse them, and by false reports and insinuations to stir up the rulers against them." Unquote. Finally, 
This new world order will determine to utterly destroy God's faithful, just as Satan attempted in earlier centuries. Quote, the decree which is to go forth against the people of God will be very similar to that issued by Ahasuerus against the Jews in the time of Esther. Satan instigated the scheme in order to rid the earth of those who preserved the knowledge of the true God. But his plots were defeated by a counterpower that reigns among the children of men. The Protestant world today see in the little company keeping the Sabbath a Mordecai in the gate. His character and conduct expressing reverence for the law of God are a constant rebuke to those who have cast off the fear of the Lord and are trembling, trampling upon his Sabbath. The unwelcomed intruder must by some means be put out of the way. The same masterful mind that plotted against the faithful in ages past is still seeking to rid the earth of those who fear God and obey his law. Satan will excite indignation against the humble minority who con conscientiously refuse to accept popular customs and traditions. Men of position and reputation will join with the lawless and the vile to take counsel against the people of God. Wealth, genius, education will combine to cover them with contempt. Persecuting rulers, ministers, and church members will conspire against them. With voice and pen, by boasts, threats, and ridicule, they will seek to overthrow their faith. By false representations and angry appeals, they will stir up the passions of the people. Not having a thus saith the scriptures to bring against the advocates of the Bible Sabbath, they will resort to oppressive enactments to supply the lack. To secure popularity and patronage, legislators will yield the demand for a Sunday law. Those who fear God cannot accept an institution that violates a precept of the Decalogue. On this battlefield comes the last great conflict of the controversy between truth and error, and we are not left in doubt as to the issue. Now, as in the days of Mordecai, the Lord will vindicate his truth and his people. Unquote. Yes, I'm sorry to say, there will be martyrs. Maranatha, page 199. When this grand work is to take place in the battle, prior to the last closing conflict, many will be imprisoned. Many will flee for their lives from cities and towns. And many will be martyrs for Christ's sake in standing in defense of the truth." Unquote. In the book, Prophets and Kings, page 587, Satan influenced the heathen nations to destroy Israel. So in the near future, he will stir up the wicked powers of the earth to destroy the people of God. Men will be required to render obedience to human edicts in violation of the divine law. Those who are true to God will be menaced, denounced, and proscribed. They will be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, even unto death." Unquote. 
such persecutions during this little time of trouble will bring the close of probation upon this earth. And thank God, we have been told there will be no more martyrs after the close of probation. So, we shall learn in a coming study of the big time of trouble. We must close this chapter, but I must tell you that God's grace will be provided in sufficient quantity for every emergency we meet. I praise God for the encouragement that God has given for this soon coming little time of trouble that will be finalized in a big time of trouble. Listen carefully. Quote, if we are called to suffer for Christ's sake, we shall be able to go to prison trusting in him as a little child, trust in his parents. Now is the time to cultivate faith in God. That's taken from our high calling, page 357. We are not to have the courage and fortitude of the martyrs of old until brought into the position that they were in. Should there be a return of persecution, there would be grace given to arouse every energy of the soul to show a true heroism. That's from our High Calling, page 125. The disciples were not endowed with the courage and fortitude of the martyrs until such grace was needed, unquote. Desire of Ages, page 354. When, for the truth's sake, the believer stands at the bar of the unrighteous tribunals, Christ stands by his side. When one is incarcerated in prison walls, Christ ravishes the heart with his love. When one suffers death, for his sake. Christ says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of hell and of death. Revelation 1.8. The life that is sacrificed for me is preserved unto eternal glory. Unquote. The Desire of Ages, page 669. Let us pray. Dear God, after listening to inspiration, which reveals what is shortly to come to every saint, we remember how thy dear Son suffered and died for us. Therefore, we praise God that we may be worthy to suffer with him for thy glory, knowing that thy grace is sufficient to keep us faithful. For thou hast stated in thy holy word, Whosoever will save his life shall lose his life for my sake and the Gospels. The same shall save it. Amen. And now, let's listen to Sonny Lou. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. If I gain the world and had not Jesus, were my life worth living for a day? 
Could my yearning heart find rest and comfort in the things that soon must pass away? If I gained the world but had not Jesus, were my life worth living for a day? Could my yearning heart find rest and comfort in the things that soon must away If I gain the world but had not Jesus would my gain be worth the lifelong strife are all earthly Nothing else in all the world be